Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. I want to start with a story uh, about my son and I. And uh, I asked his permission if I could share this. And he said yes. So, all right. So when Aiden was about five years old, uh, I brought him with me to a conference at a church on the other side of town. And I think Jackie was working uh, and she couldn't go, so it was just, just the two of us. At the end of the conference, I went and checked him out of children's ministry. They sort of had like a conference for the kids that was running concurrently. Uh, so I checked him out and then someone came up to me and started talking to me and then uh, I turned and he was gone. Um, I spent 40 minutes walking through the church, uh, around the church, uh, looking for him. I was like envisioning all kinds of bad things happening. I mean, 40 minutes can seem like an eternity when you are looking for a five-year-old boy, right? Um, and there were like hundreds of people at this conference. I finally found him uh, wandering around in the parking lot. <laughs> and uh, he, he just wandered off and was, was exploring. Um, I have only spanked Aiden twice in his life, but that was the first time. <laughs> um, it was right there in the parking lot. Um, but uh, man, I, I was like so both happy, angry, scared, you know, like a whole mishmash of emotions uh, when I found him. Today we're talking about someone else who ran away and was relentlessly pursued by someone who loved him. The book of Jonah begins with God commissioning Noah to go to the Assyrian city of Nineveh to tell them about the, ju the judgment that's coming for, for their wickedness. In verses two and three of chapter one, which I covered last week, uh, it says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he'd found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So here we see Jonah running away from God. And like I said last week, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, uh, the text indicates that Jonah instead went down to Joppa. That's both physically down to the port of Joppa, but it's also spiritually, right? When we decide to disobey God and we're just going to go do our own thing. To follow the way of God uh, is to go up in one sense and to run away from God uh, is to go down. It is a path that eventually leads um, to destruction if we don't turn around, right? Jonah goes down to the port of Joppa, then he goes down below the deck of the ship, then he goes down into the sea, sinking down into the waves, and then he goes down into the mouth of the great fish. A lot of down. <laughs> um, this is what happens when we run away from God and when we run away from his will for our life. It does not end well. Running from God uh, always has a way of making things worse. Um, literally, um, we not only are endangering ourselves, we are endangering the people around us when we are running from God. 
So here in Jonah 1, the lives of these sailors, uh, as you saw in the scripture, were put at risk because Jonah was running from God. So think about that. How often does that happen in our lives? Like uh, when our sin, our disobedience, um, our running from God causes terrible circumstances, not just to us, but to those who are around us. It could be our spouse, could be our children, could be our coworkers, um, our friends. But when we are running from God, right, our poor choices begin to have a ripple effect on those who are around us. Also, something else is is at work here in Jonah. Um, Jonah may have run from the Lord, but the Lord has no intention of letting Jonah go. Like, although Jonah is spiraling downward at the moment, and although his, his disobedience is impacting the lives of those who are around him, God is still in control. Right? Jonah may be headstrong, but God is God. He is sovereign, right? Um, the way I like to describe sovereignty is um, he is large and in charge, right? He is the king of kings, he is the lord of lords, and nothing happens outside of his knowledge. Um, And there's nothing he cannot use to bring us back to him, like nothing. And in his sovereignty, God is about to stop Jonah in his tracks. Um, now, Now, God could have responded by destroying Jonah in an instant, right? And that would have just put an end to him. He could have picked someone else. But this is not a God whose first thought is to punish his people. Um, It's not even his second thought or his third thought or even his hundredth thought. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is good news for us. This is not a God who has lost his temper and is determined to like lash out against his servant and teach him a lesson that he'll never forget. Um, No, God is gracious, he is loving, he is kind. Um, He is a God who is both merciful and patient. And in his love and his grace and his mercy, God intends to intervene, this this time in a supernatural way, on behalf of his wayward servant. And God does so first through the storm. Okay, now now think about this. This couldn't have been a typical storm. Um, These sailors on board this vessel that Jonah was on They had to have been seasoned sailors who had encountered storms before. I mean, this is a potentially 2,000-mile journey. And you don't sail 2,000 miles and you don't take on paid passengers unless you know what you're doing, right? So we we can surmise that these sailors were seasoned sailors. And so this storm was probably... Um, had to have been worse than anything they had ever experienced. Verses four and five, again, read, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. 
Now, it's one thing for these sailors to be afraid, even to the point of calling out to their gods uh, to save them, but the real evidence of their desperation is when they just start throwing their cargo over the ship. So if you think about it, um, the cargo is like their source of income. It's like it's their money. Pretty sure there was no insurance back then, right? So we know that the situation aboard this ship is pretty dire. God has sent a mighty wind, mighty storm. Jonah is determined to run from God, but God is determined not to let Jonah go. In his goodness and his unfailing love, the Lord faithfully follows after Jonah. Most of you are probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm, the one that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The last verse of that Psalm says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? Now, very few of us would think of a violent storm as his goodness and love, but that is exactly what it is. The Lord will use whatever means are necessary to intervene in the life of his children to bring us back to him. He can use crisis, he can use tragedy, he can use financial woes, he can use failing health, he can use just about anything he wants to to give us a wake-up call. Over my 18 years of ministry, I've seen God use uh, medical conditions, uh, relationships blowing up, accidents, even the death of loved ones to wake people up and turn people back to him. That's what he does. Um, I've seen God use storms in people's lives to not just turn people back to him, but also to birth a calling for a ministry. Like the Bible says, beauty from ashes, right? Beauty for ashes. That's what God does. So like in the story of Joseph, remember Joseph, um, where he says to his brothers who sold him into slavery, it's Genesis 50, 20, it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God can be both the initiator of the storm and he can take the storms that the enemy has caused and use them for his holy purposes. So here's an example. I'm, I'm sure most of you are familiar with St. Patrick's Day. What is that, March 17th? Yeah, so St. Patrick, you may not be familiar with, with his story. Um, when he was 16 years old, St. Patrick was kidnapped by pirates um, and taken from his British homeland to Ireland where essentially he, like Joseph, was sold into slavery. Like he, he worked, he was forced to work in the fields as a shepherd um, for six years under pretty harsh conditions uh, until God miraculously provided a way for him to escape. During that time, he faced hunger, um, freezing temperatures, pain, but it was also a time when he had some really deep experiences with the Lord. Um, and after 
he made it back home um, several months later, St. Patrick felt this strong urge, this strong calling to go back to Ireland as a missionary and bring Jesus to them. Um, he sensed that it was God who allowed these pirates to take him to Ireland so he could then see the need for Jesus there. And so then he went back, right? Of course, we know that thousands of people came to faith in Christ. Revival broke out among these people who previously were pagan. Um, God will basically use anyone he wants to to bring people back to him or to birth a ministry in a person's life. God can cause coincidences, chance encounters. He can use both Christians. He can use non-Christians. He can use anything he wants to get our attention. If God can make a donkey talk, uh, he can use anything to get our attention and to change our direction in life. So, this is interesting. So, how did Jonah respond to the storm? We see in the second half of verse 5, it says, but all this time, Jonah was sound asleep <laughs> down in the hold, right? So, when the storm comes, Jonah literally withdraws from reality, and he goes down into the hold of the ship, and he goes to sleep. So, interestingly, there's another man in the Bible uh, a man of God who's a passenger on board a ship that is also headed westward on the Mediterranean uh, with mostly pagans on board. Uh, this ship, too, is hit with an intense storm, right? So intense that they throw the cargo overboard, just like in, in the story of Jonah. But in the second story, and you'll find this in Acts 27, um, we see that the man, in this case, it's the Apostle Paul, uh, responds very differently from Jonah. Um, he encourages the crew. He assures them that God has told him that everyone will survive. Um, and even though, like, he was on that ship being taken as a prisoner to Rome, um, he steps forward with boldness. He directs the ship's officers and the men, and he ultimately saves everyone's lives on board. So contrast that with Jonah who goes down into the hold of the ship and goes to sleep, essentially withdrawing from reality. So if you've ever read the book, uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. Like, if you haven't read C.S. Lewis, read lots of C.S. Lewis. Okay, so he wrote a book called The Great Divorce. Um, and if you've, read, if you've read that, you'll remember um, there's a huge difference in this story uh, between the people who are on their way to heaven and the people who are on their way to hell. Those who are running from God uh, are becoming increasingly thin and insubstantial and see-through, while those who are pursuing God are becoming progressively more real, more intense, more solid. Those who are running from God are essentially becoming less human the farther they run. And those who are running toward him 
are becoming more human the closer they get to God. The more human we are, the more we become like what God wants us to become, and the better it is for everyone who's around us. The less human we are, the worse it is for those who are around us. Running from God, as I've already said, is always leading down. We end up not living like the kind of life that he wants us to live. It's not a vivacious life. It is a life uh, really where we're living in a stupor. It's a shadow of the life that we could have led. Um, People who run from God aren't really living. They, They find that they're just going through the motions. They're not at all experiencing that that shalom, right, that we're designed to enjoy from God because they're running away from him, right? God himself is the source of that shalom, right? What's shalom? You've heard, you've heard this word, maybe you, you've heard it, it's peace, but it's actually a much more rich word than just, that peace can, than the word peace can encapsulate. Um, it means completeness, it means wholeness, it means Uh, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, like perfection, uh, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation, shalom. Most of you have probably flown on an airplane. Um, Maybe you've you, you remember the, the, what the flight attendant says, you know, the, little sh- the spiel that they give. Um, you've probably heard it so many times that you like check out. But one of the things they say is um, if you're traveling with small children, put the oxygen mask on your own face before you put it on the face of your child. Do you remember that? Yeah. Why do they say that? Uh, because parents who aren't breathing are of no use to their children, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, here's the thing. Running from God keeps you from breathing and living the kind of life that God intended you to live. And when you do that, you're essentially robbing those around you from the breath of God in your life, right? The presence and the blessing of God in you, right? The blessing that God wants to give through you. So here are two questions for you. Um, How might God be trying to get your attention and what is he calling you to do? God comes after us. He's in the business of the Exodus, right? This is what he does. He brings us out of slavery and into freedom. He brings us out of the darkness and into the light in every way possible. This is what God does. Um, God has been on mission to save us, to free us, to empower us by his spirit, and ultimately to equip us to do the good things that he planned for us to do a long time ago. Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
So I want to show you a clip from a movie. I don't think I've shown a movie clip yet. Um, so this is a 1993 movie, Schindler's List. Uh, it's a film about Oskar Schindler. Uh, he's a German businessman who saved uh, the lives of uh, about 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. They were mostly Polish Jewish um, refugees. He saved them um, at first, not because he was trying to save them, but really he's just trying to um, save money. Um, so he hired them to work in his factories, right? Cheap labor. Um, so the, the scene that I want to show you happens towards the end of the movie. The Nazis have surrendered, and now the Allies are approaching, and Schindler has to flee. Um, in this scene, he's, he's packing up his car uh, in the middle of the night. He's saying goodbye to all the workers. Um, so I want to make a point here, so let's, let's take a look. The ring these Jews gave Schindler was secretly made from a worker's gold dental bridge. And uh, like, like he said, it was engraved with a quote from the Talmud, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. So when we are running from God, we're not only missing out on God's blessing in our life, uh, but we are missing out on having an impact for eternity. Like literally, if you were to see the exponential impact of your, of your life lived for Jesus, like over the generations after you're gone, I mean, there could be literally thousands of souls impacted through your life lived for Jesus. There were, what, 1,100 Jews that Schindler saved. Today, uh, there are over 15,000 descendants from those original um, Jews who were saved. If God is calling you into a relationship with him, he is calling you into some kind of ministry. A ministry where your faithfulness will have an impact for eternity. It's literally investing what is short-lived, what is temporal, what is finite, what will eventually be gone into something that is eternal. Because at the end of our lives, um, we will leave the earth the way we came into it. We brought nothing into this world, we'll take nothing out of this world. But how can we invest those things that are short-lived, right? Our time, our energy, our talents, our gifts, um, our resources into something that has an eternal impact. Or to put it another way, um, are you willing to be used by God to help bring others into freedom, into the family of believers? I've talked about uh, several times about uh, my rough childhood, um, which included poverty, alcoholism, abuse, and yet I stand here before you today. I literally have my own Exodus story. Why? Because God used so many people to get me to this point, right? There were so many people involved in that process, people who loved on me, people who extended God's grace towards me, people who helped me financially, 
um, people who helped lead me to Jesus, people who discipled me, people who mentored me, people who um, helped me receive healing in all the ways that I needed it. Like, I was a mess. There's no way I would be in ministry, right, had I not gone through those, those healing things. People who lended their influence to me, gave me opportunities to grow and develop, there's a whole like list of people who sowed themselves, their lives, their energy, their resources into me. I'm here before you because of people who followed the Lord's leading to invest in the life of a young man. Are you being used by God to do any of those things that I just mentioned? Like even impacting one person, one person, that impact can ripple throughout eternity. Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. When I was uh, in college back in the 90s, early 90s, one of the shows I used to like to watch uh, was Dr. Phil. Maybe you remember Dr. Phil? Um, I remember an episode <clears throat> where this young man he was probably in his mid-late 20s. Um, he was still living at home with his parents. Um, he wasn't going to school. He didn't have a job. Um, he would basically spend his days um, like playing video games, watching TV, hanging out with his friends, right? And I remember what Dr. Phil said, said to this young man. He said, son, if you're not working a full-time job, your full-time job is looking for a full-time job. You need to be out there every day from nine to five, beating the streets and looking for a job. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but I thought it was true, right? Um, if you don't know, like, if you know what God's calling you to do, great, awesome. Uh, if you don't know what God's calling you to do, then I would suggest that your mission is to find out. Right? How do we do that? Okay, so God uh, speaks through his word, he speaks through prayer, he speaks through circumstances in our life, and he speaks through his people. So regularly being in the word, being in prayer, um, and connecting with other believers, right, in a small group can definitely help you discern your calling. Why? Because God speaks to us uh, and he confirms things to us through other people. Um, particularly other followers of Jesus. Um, so it's not too late to sign up for a small group. We've still got those going. Um, there's still grow guides out in the, in the uh, gathering space. They're still on the website. Um, so you can still sign up if you haven't signed up for one already. Another great, great way to discern your calling um, is by taking what is coming, uh, Life Church 201. This will launch next spring. Um, like literally, that's one of the primary purposes of the class is to help you discover how God has uniquely shaped you and what ministry it is that he's calling you to do, right? Um, that ministry might be in the church, out, the, out of the church, it doesn't matter. Like something kingdom related. Right? God wants to use each one of us. Um, you won't be able to take 201, though, until you take 101. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, we still have a couple more of those uh, in October, and we'll keep doing 101s. Um, so 
It's not too late. God is patient with Jonah, and he is patient with Nineveh. He's definitely um, the God of second chances, third chances, fifth chances, hundredth chances, right? Um, But none of us at the end of our lives want to miss out on the thing that God was calling us to because we had our own agenda, because we were headed to Tarshish. None of us want to look back uh, like Schindler and say, I could have done so much more. I think we'd rather hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, It is my opinion that there is no greater joy in this life than to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. I want to close with a passage uh, from Isaiah 61. Uh, It's verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6. It'll be up on the screen. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In verse six, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. So as followers of Jesus, we are all priests. We are all ministers of the gospel. This is one of the fundamental um, tenets of Martin Luther and the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers. Question is, who are you called to minister to? And what is your next step to getting there? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you relentlessly pursue us. We thank you, God, that you use broken vessels like us to help bring others into freedom and into your family. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to show each person here purpose for which you created them, what it is you're calling them to do in the kingdom of God. Lord, make it crystal clear what it is you would have them do to take the next step into fulfilling your will in their life. God, I just pray for stories to begin emerging, stories of um, people following that calling and then because of that, people being brought into salvation, people being brought into freedom, people being brought into healing, into discovering their identity in Christ, 
marriages being restored, families being reconciled. God, just have your way with the body of believers that is Life Church. May we be a beacon of hope to the community and beyond. May we lift you up and may you be glorified in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.